Welcome to the Gamers Over 50 podcast, episode 49. It's better to cheat than repeat, is it? So starting out, my personal commentary in life is winning is not everything. But in games, it kind of is. To finish some games, you have to have a winner. Uh, You can complete a game by winning it. You may want the achievement or the high score, or even the super cool items. Now you can win by spending hours and days grinding away the game, buying the game guide, or meticulously searching for items to build the item, to make the item, to get the item, to build the item, to make the item, to get the item, or the achievement that goes along with the item. Or you can use an easier way, cheating eluding, sidestepping, skirting, or eschewing. I think that one works. Anywho, uh, this is all about how to use software and hardware and cheat codes for getting ahead. Now, cheating sounds like a horrible word to use, but in effect, it kind of is cheating because you're playing a game outside the realm. Um, of what it was. Now, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. So I'll talk about that in a second. But as always, let's get the definition of cheating in video games from our friends at Wikipedia. Please donate to Wikipedia. Please, please, please. Fantastic resource as always. But Wikipedia says cheating in video games involves a video game player using various methods to create an advantage beyond normal gameplay in order to make the game easier. Cheats may be activated from within the game itself, a cheat code implemented by the original game developers, or created by a third-party software, a game trainer, or debugger, or hardware, a cheat cartridge. They can also be realized by exploiting software bugs. This may or may not be considered cheating based on the bug is considered common knowledge. I'm going to go with the bug thing. Um, I don't think using a software bug is just cheating. I think it's an exploitation, but that's not cheating. Um, so I'm not really going to talk too much about software bugs. Anywho, you know, our friends at Wikipedia call cheating a way to gain advantage beyond normal gameplay. This can make the game easier, give extra options, and it can actually add parody or fun to a game, depending on the game. I don't think cheat codes are just about games and getting ahead in the game, but they include a lot of places that you might not get to in a game if you don't use them and that's not altogether a bad thing and i you know i want to talk about you know how how we discuss if it is a cheat or not or you know but i I don't want people to get upset that people cheat in a game maybe to get ahead or finish it and i don't think you should be upset if you've done it and i don't want that's why the word cheat sounds horrible But I do think of the codes, the hardware and software as another way to play the game or another mode to play the game uh, that's outside of, say, normal mode, code mode, or whatever you want to call it. Um, Kazuhisa Hashimoto might say it's the best way to test a game. And we're going to talk about Mr. Hashimoto in a little bit. Anywho, let's talk about the hardware side first, because hardware side is very interesting. Uh, There are two major names in, I guess we'll say, cheat hardware. And that would be Game Genie 
and Game Shark. And I'm going to start with Game Genie because they have some actually really kind of cool stuff and kind of neat. Um, I don't know if you're playing cards or something or if you're, you know, at a game convention, you see these games, you can talk about, oh, check this out. And it was, these are some neat facts that are in there. So, um, but Game Genie was a line of cheat cartridges uh, designed by a group called Codemasters and sold by another company. There are a couple of companies that may have sold them, but Galoob was the biggest one. Now, the most interesting thing is Galoob. And the reason I say that is Galoob is actually this giant toy company that sold stuff like Star Trek figures and Star Trek stuff. They sold Micro Machines. If you remember the Micro Machine Man, he like talk really fast. I can't do it. This is fast. I'm really going to talk right now. But the Micro Machine Man, he was also the FedEx guy. He did like a FedEx commercial, but he was guy was bald. No, not all the way bald, but he had a mustache. Really fast talker. I should find his name. Um, but they had him. And then they also did the wrestling figurines on WWE. So like you have the He-Man kind of figurines or Masters of the Universe, I should say. In case you're leaving out Skeletor, I actually do a hell of a Skeletor impression, but I'm not going to do it today. Um, it's been an interesting day trying to even record. Uh, but the crazy thing is they sold these wrestling figures. So like, have you ever had any of those wrestling figures like Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant and folks like that? Then you probably had a Galoob or Game Genie, I guess, uh, co-product product. So Galoob started out and this, uh, the, the Game Genie was released in 1990 and it was originally released for the Nintendo. And so you'd plug the Game Genie in and plug your cartridge into it. They also uh, built for the Super NES, the Game Boy, the Genesis and Game Gear. Now, what was interesting is, is as the data and information was going through the cartridge because the Game Genie was in the middle, it would allow you to modify data so you could manipulate things in the game, such as, you know, certain assets, like you get all the guns or you get all the cars and you would get unlimited lives. Uh, so that's really how the game genie worked. It was in the middle. And what's crazy is they sold 5 million units of it, which is pretty big. And, you know, most of the video game emulators had game genie code support in them when they eventually saw that it was something widely used. The game genie was very, very uh, crazy because it would give you almost everything. Now, what was also very interesting, and this is kind of the, the fun fact, um, and I'm also going to give you a reference. It'll be a great reference if you haven't, if you like to read or maybe listen to books, but the, you know, the original NES game genie in Nintendo was furious. They sued Galoob. And went after them. And then also, the crazy thing about it was Galoob went after Nintendo. And so eventually, the courts came back and said Game Genie really wasn't breaking any copyright laws. It wasn't doing what they called derivative work for Nintendo. Now, crazy thing about this is Game Genie actually tried to work with Nintendo and said, hey, we'd like to license a product with you. And Nintendo said no. So interesting stuff about Nintendo. Now, on the complete other hand, at the same time, because Nintendo was around, the Sega was coming out. It, Sega was like, boom, throw the Game Genie. We, you know, we love the Game Genie. They got the official seal of approval from Sega. And, you know, it was just very interesting how 
um, you know, the difference between Nintendo and Sega. Sega was like, we'll do everything, which is kind of how Sega it was. Versus Nintendo had a very, almost a code, I would say about it. Now, there's a great book called Console Wars, and it is written by Blake J. Harris. And I'm going to just give it a quick plug here. It is a fantastic book. If you've wanted to know stuff about Sega and Nintendo around the NES time, and I live in the, the Northwest here in the Seattle area, actually outside of Seattle, about five miles away from Nintendo headquarters, which is so cool. Sometimes it, I think it's cool. Other people are like, yeah, whatever. But, uh, you know, it's so interesting to, to read a book and see all the areas around you, but also learn kind of how Nintendo started, how they came to the U S how, you know, what their big breaks were and the same thing with Sega and also the people that were working at those companies. It is so interesting to go like, out on a Google and type, oh, I want to search people at work to the company. I didn't want to go too deep down on this side, but really take a look at that book, Console Wars, if you're looking for something cool. I'll also put it on Twitter. Okay, so Game Genie. There we go. Now we also have Game Shark. And so Game Shark was also called the Action Replay. And Game Shark started over in the United Kingdom. Um, an action replay was designed by Daytel, D-A-T-E-L. And the, you know, they used a device in it called a Snapshot 64. And this, this was built for the Commodore 64, the Amiga, and ZX computer. So if you enter a ZX computer, it's, it's a more of a, a UK, European-based um, uh, computer. And this you know, GameShark cartridge use the peek and poke commands. Now, if you'd listen to the Commodore 64, you learn those were kind of how peek and poke were built into Commodore 64 basic. Um, what's interesting, so we had the court case versus Galoob before. People and other companies, I guess more game companies and other folks, kind of influenced Parliament over in the UK to create copyright design and patents legislation for apparatuses, including any device, component, or electronic data. So the GameShark influenced copyright of electronics. And this is obviously early back in the, in the 80s, maybe even the 70s. Um, but they pushed this. And, you know, the legislation, you know, pushed Daytel away from the Commodore 64 and Omega. And I like to say call it Omega or Amiga sometimes. I try to figure out. Because it's like being cool. I guess it's like how people say tomato. I don't know. Anywho, the, that legislation pushed Daytel to go to after the consoles. So like the NES, the Master System, the Genesis, and Super Nintendo. And, you know, this is, boom, direct competition with Game Genie. Um, what was also very interesting about the action replay Game Genie, and I don't want to get too over technical here was it would rewrite hexadecimal memory space so it could find cheat codes. So it would actively look for cheat codes. Now, um, that was when they were in the UK, they came to the US and actually replay worked with coast to coast games and then a company called innovation, but could really not compete in the US because of Gloob, and it was probably because of Star Trek Micro Machines wrestling figurines, right? So Gloob had a really heavy-duty kind of 
pull. Okay, so those are the hardware kind of cheap ways to do it. And that and there's still other ways to do it in the future. I mean, there's it's become I'm really going into the the depth of the originals. Okay, but let's talk about software now because this is a bit trickier. And if you're familiar with kind of software development or administering software, or if you don't mind screwing up your game or computer, uh, then proceed with caution to use these. Um, so I want to jump back into Wikipedia for a quick sentence. Cheating can easily be achieved by modifying the game's data while it's running or prior to it running. And so, you know, where we had uh, this method of cheating was much less reliable than, say, a cheat code or a hardware cartridge, because those are hard-coded or it's a piece of physical. The programming and styles and, and how people would develop game logic was different per game. So if you wanted to use software, it got a lot harder to do this. And the other side of this is it also violated your software license agreement, which we've all read the software license agreement for either an Apple or Microsoft product. I am sure every time you get a new phone or a new computer, you just that I polished through that uh, I think I read it one time when I, I worked at Microsoft and I, I was doing something. I think I was like in training and everybody didn't go out one night. So I sat back and I, I read the end user license agreement or EULA. I know that's how nerdy I got, but I was just kind of interested. I'm wondering, is there anything in here really bad? Um, anywho, so, you know, modifying that data, kind of bad. You're breaking an agreement. So you know, if you tried to go back and get support. Now, the first way to really go in and gain an advantage is, is what, what game trainers, and a game trainer is kind of a, a piece of software, uh, is memory editing. editing. And what you do is you're updating values as the game is running. So you're actively changing things while something's running. So I like to bring this up. It's almost like switching drivers while you're driving down a highway. Depending on what car, could be totally easy but also not so much. Uh, it, cracking groups, which are also hacking, but they would crack software so that they could, uh, you know, get out there. And again, cracking groups are not associated with a plumber group or any type of um, illegal drug, but they are, uh, they're folks who would put a, would basically make it so that you got the software for free. We're going to talk about them in just a sec. However, they would have a, a kind of a screen on top of the game. So you would have to go through this screen to get to the game. And it would give you options to make the game easier. Now, the only thing I'm going to bring up is if you use cracked software off the Internet, just think that someone is going to add malicious code. Nothing in life is free. So this is where cracking groups become hacking groups. And I am sure they are doing it. In fact, I'm more than sure, because I've had friends who are like, hey, I got a free copy of Office, and then my computer wouldn't work. And I'm like, well, it's time to reboot and reload. All right. So then we also have code injection. So code injection is this is where we're getting really into the depth. But this is where you would, in, say, a C64, use poke commands to modify the executable code to, say, give infinite lives. So instead of, say, the value is three, you change the value to a million or something, or 900 or something like that. Or it, you could actually edit what was in a Windows world, 
dynamic link libraries or DLLs. You probably have seen those out there at some point, but you could change that to where instead of having to earn 10,000 points to get a weapon, you only have to earn zero points down the board. So that's another way to do it. The other way to do it is editing a saved game. So you save your game and then you go in and you start taking a hexadecimal editor, which if you're not familiar with hexadecimal code, it's zero through nine, then A, B, C, D, E, F. And those letters are actually considered numeric values. We get into a more depth. If uh, I, the way I explained it to someone who was having trouble understanding was like, you ever see 3D chess on the Big Bang Theory or Star Trek? And they're like, yeah. And I go, hexadecimal code. And they were like, oh, that's great. Because they were like, oh my God, how could you do either? But it, it's easier to do than that. But you would have to edit with a hexadecimal editor. and Or if you, there's an actual for that game. So let's say Super Mario Brother has an editor. Boom. Um, the only problem with that is, and notice there are a lot of problems with the software side, is you can screw up your game. So if you put in a zero instead of a one somewhere, or maybe you put in a B instead of a nine. Ooh. So there you go. All right. So full disclosure, full thought process. If you uh, are very technical and you're kind of enjoy that kind of stuff, I don't see a single problem with using software to update any of those games. I will say it seems like a lot of work just to get there um, when there's a potential for a cheat code or some kind of other way to go around it. Um, you really have to do some heavy duty work to get in here. And I pulled down a software editor and I started thinking, I looked at one of the, a saved game. Um, I'm not going to say the game cause I don't want anyone to know I broke my software licensing agreement. I didn't cause it was a saved game, but, uh, I did take a look at it and I was like, oh, this is so much work. I'm going to have to print this out and I'm going to have to get my highlighter out and, Anyone who's ever had to use a hex editor just realized that I have actually done hex editing. So, yay. But is it really worth all that work? Is that more of an extent existential question on it? Um, yeah, maybe not. But you never know. Maybe you're bored. Maybe the power's out and you've only got a copy of, say, Super Contra for your PC. There you go. All right. So we've talked about hardware, we've talked about software, but let's talk about the probably the greatest, coolest, most interesting part of gaming, cheat codes. And I say that because some people know cheat codes, some people don't know cheat codes. Now, most people know a certain group of cheat codes. And if you don't know cheat codes for say a game that you played, like the original Mortal Kombat, or maybe Grand Theft Auto V or The Sims. We're going to talk about those. Um, but, it, you know, a cheat code is basically a set of movements or characters, and that could be movements on the keyboard or keyboard, keypad, game, you know, whatever. Anywho, that you do during a game. And some codes are infamous. In fact, I'm going to talk about one that I used as a password about 20 years ago when I thought I needed a really long password and I wanted to be cool. And I wanted to tell people about my password. And then I realized I told people my password and I was really cool. And that wasn't cool. But, you know, 20 years ago, people were watching Friends in the X-Files. And that was cool. And I was trying to take it another level up. Um, 
but your password could have been Ross or Rachel or Mulder or Scully. But that code that I'm talking about is called the Konami code. And so the Konami code is also known as, say, the Contra code or the 30 Lives code. And I, I gave the name of, and I'm really hoping I said his name correctly, Kazuhisa Hashimoto is the inventor of the Konami code. And so what the Konami code is, it's up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA. And if you're ever looking at your gamepad, it's pretty easy, but it, it has been everywhere. And we're going to talk about that, but it is a code that if you entered that in, it put in some cheat code to basically have every weapon, every, I think it was 30 lives in the game Contra, et cetera. So it was, you know, developed originally for the game Gradius. And what's crazy about it was he, because he so created a game that was too hard to test. He couldn't beat the game. And so he created a cheat code to give the full set of power-ups, you know, basically that you would gain throughout the game, gave him all the power-ups. And so by doing the and we're going to hear this a lot, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA. By doing that, you got all these power-ups. And it was really cool because, you know, you put it in there. It's a, if you think about it, it's really brilliant to say, oh, I'm going to be able to test the game. Ta-da. And there's a lot of people who talk about it. Oh, maybe it was forgotten and they kept it in there. Maybe he kept it in there on purpose. No, I like to think he kept it in there on purpose because that sounds like kind of the coolest thing you could ever do um, in a game. But it was very easy. Testers could do it. Everyone could do it. And, you know, it was really hard to do it accidentally in a game. Um, some other games that include this were Contra Castlevania, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Dance Dance Revolution, Metal Gear, Batman Returns, and then on other platforms, Frogger on the Xbox, Silent Hill 3 for the PS2 and Windows, Bioshock Infinite, even Fortnite Battle Royale. And so if you have your kids or you like to play Fortnite, try it out. And the Tetris effect for PS4 and Xbox One. What is also very cool is there have been outside references. So if you go to the Bank of Canada's website and you go to the commemorative $10 bill and do the up, up, down. Wait, what was it again? Oh, you all know it. Anywho, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA. Uh on that site, it actually plays the Canadian National Anthem. It's so cool. I did it. It was neat. Great. And there's also YouTube videos if you don't want to go out there and do it. Um, the Chromebook Pixel has an Easter egg when putting that code in. It causes the lights on an LED strip of the lid of the computer to blink rapidly. So these are, you know, this is kind of the fun stuff of technology that's built into it. Hmm. Now, outside of the Konami code, there are a ton of other codes, and there are a ton of articles about those codes. If you have a game that you really like, you may find something extremely interesting or kind of an open level or something really weird. Um, I have a few codes that I really like over the years, and I have been a fan of cheat codes for a long time. I'm not saying that they're wrong or right. Again, different mode, right? Um, I was a huge fan of The Sims. I loved The Sims, and I would grind when I talked about grinding away and playing really, really hard to get stuff in The Sims. But The Sims brought us Rosebud. Now, you know, 
I will say this games and entertainment, movies, TV, music go hand in hand. And the perfect game with the perfect cheat code is Rosebud with The Sims because it's a reference to the obviously Citizen Kane and the sled. And if that just spoiled the movie Citizen Kane for you, too freaking bad, man. It came out 80 years ago. Sorry, 80 years. You get an 80 year spoiler, probably not. You get like three days spoiler with me. Um, Sometimes. If I know you, I try to be really nice about it. Anywho, when you hit Control-Shift-C and then type the word Rosebud, capital R, you'll get a thousand simoleons or sim dollars. Um, it does take a little bit of the challenge out, but after I had worked really hard for like a month and, you know, I was having to do all this stuff and I was like, oh, I just want to, can I just see what else is out there on the game? And I actually played The Sims probably through multiple times to get different ways to do it. But each time when I needed a little extra money, yeah, Rosebud was there for me. Um, but it does take the survival aspect out. And that's not a bad thing, but I kind of enjoyed it. All right. Another one, and I apologize for anyone who thinks I'm a horrible person for playing this game, but in Grand Theft Auto V, the invincibility cheat code. And I think one of the lures of a game like GTA is that you get to be bad and not go to jail like you would in real life, like you just smash cars all over the road and they're obviously driving games and things like that where you get to smash cars and it's okay but in this one you get to kind of like you know be a bad guy i don't know i, I try to follow the straight and narrow but gta allows me to have my secret there um but you know there are a lot of rock songs out there that would say differently than you know that and would go along anywho if you get into gta it is right a left Right, right, A, right, left, left, right, R, B, right, left, A, Y. And then you become the worst person on the planet where you can actually uh, shoot police officers, which is very, very bad to do. Don't do it in a game either. It's horrible. You'll feel, feel bad afterwards. There's also one where you turn everyone in aggressive on the game. And I can't remember what that one is, but it is hilarious because they just beat you up immediately like you survive maybe a minute. All right, so the last one of um, of these really has some kind of it's kind of has some cool history attached to it. It's in Mortal Kombat, the original Mortal Kombat, and it's called the Blood Code. And what's really interesting about the Blood Code is the reason it exists is because again, Nintendo and Sega. And this is actually directly from uh, Blake uh, Blake's book, Console Wars. Sorry, Blake J. Harris. I think Blake J. Harris. Uh, but his book, Console Wars, talks about Nintendo said no blood in our Super Nintendo version. We don't want to go over that. And it's, it was actually affected by Congress. So you want to hear about the stupidest stuff Congress does? Talking about putting blood into Mortal Kombat. Not the greatest moment for them. Obviously they don't have a lot of great moments, but this is a really bad one where they went after this stuff. And I probably should do a podcast about Tipper Gore versus Mr. Rogers and Frank Zappa, which sounds like something that should come out of the Marvel cinematic universe or the DC universe. And that Zack Snyder, if you ever listen to this, create that movie. Cause I would love to see who you pick for Frank Zappa. I got a couple ideas. Christopher Maloney. 
there we go. Anywho, the blood uh, code is was a way to add blood into your Sega Genesis version of Mortal Kombat. And normally it would have this like, just it wasn't blood. But when you put the blood thing on, let me just make this very clear. There was a lot of blood. And that is not a, uh, you know, a sequel or a prequel to uh, There Will Be Blood. There was a lot of blood in that game. It made it incredibly, incredibly violent and gory. And it was just kind of funny to watch people freak out about. But if you have that or you have an emulator and you can play it on your PC and there are a ton of them out there, the blood code is A-B-A-C-A-B-B. I had entered that on my Sega Genesis. In fact, my good friend Harry and I used to play a lot of Sega Genesis. That was on there. Okay. Final thing on this is I appreciate the ability to augment a game, to play a feature that maybe I'm not good enough to get on my own. I'm just going to say it right out. Um, I didn't survive past usually two or three stars in Grand Theft Auto. So by adding the invincibility, I got the be even crazier in that game. I also like the features created by developers as a treat or a testing mechanism or even just a base feature that was left behind. Cheat codes, hardware, and software methods add to gameplay and fun. If you haven't tried them or if you're playing a game, go out and see if you can find one. Enjoy it. All right, that's all, and I'll talk to you soon.